Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to the New Year edition of Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game as our regular co-host Michael Edgley takes a break. First edition news with Willem van Dender and Shortly. Then as the Australian Professional League remain committed to completing the men's and women's seasons on schedule despite being forced to postpone its 10th men's game this season with Western Sydney Wanderers match against Western United on New Year's Day no longer going ahead due to COVID-19 cases. But of the games that have gone ahead, one of the stories of the last couple of weeks has been the mini resurgence of Sydney FC after a sluggish start to the season that had them near the bottom of the ladder. Their Boxing Day win over MacArthur, who were top at the time, has given their season the spark it needed and given the fact the result was driven by the youngsters, it was all the more notable. We'll talk to Sky Blues gaffer Steve Corica to reflect on just what has sparked the turnaround. Willem, after that, with the latest on Matildas and Socceroos around the world and with plenty of COVID disruption causing fixture congestion and uncertainty around Europe football we'll have a chat with our good mate from the athletic rob tanner about how the premier league is playing out and his expectations for the new year of course we'll wrap it up with our extended stoppage time with derek willem and uh we welcome derek right now but derek um speaking of COVID 19 my friend uh, uh it's struck your family yeah that's right uh sh- scheduling issues of our own in the uh, dyson household this week we've had to cancel all of our uh well long-planned family visits, etc., and going to be spending a little bit of time on the couch uh, watching watching the beautiful game and a bunch of other things, Rob. And you're feeling okay, mate? Your little one uh, uh, doesn't sound like the the worst uh, of the symptoms have descended on you, but... uh, but you're certainly running at less than 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, it's a bit of a strange feeling. Finally, after two years, I, I now feel like I, I joined the club. But uh, mm. yeah, like every, everyone, everyone, everyone is is thankfully okay at the moment. We had a nice visit from the health department uh, this afternoon to make sure that we were all okay, and also to mm. make sure that we were here as well. So. Uh, mm. Uh, they're keeping an eye on us and I'm just keeping an eye on them. Okay, well, stay well and uh, we'll enjoy your uh, your work throughout the show. At least this is a distraction, mate, to talk about football. And uh, Willem, you're there, mate. Do you have a nice Christmas yourself? I certainly did, Rob, down in uh, Geelong. And may all... Oh, Derek, fantastic to have you on in the co-host chair. And to all the listeners, I hope you have a, a fantastic new year and that 2022 is a good one uh, in both life and in football. Not a lot of football being played in the A-League men's competition for now, but we are going to push on. We're up to 10 matches that have been postponed due to COVID-19. Five of six round seven fixtures we played at a later date, leaving just Adelaide to host Wellington on Saturday night. Clubs have an option to request a postponement if five players from their previous match day squad have been ruled out. But Danny Townsend, of course, managing director at the APL, has reaffirmed that the intention is to finish in May. Rob, we're going to ask uh, Steve Corrick about this a little bit later on, but it seems like there's certainly a calmness and a, a coolness about playing on this time around. Obviously, this is our third COVID-affected season now. The first time it was a bit desperate and a bit troubling. The second time we got it done and we saw just how many games can be crammed into Tuesday and Wednesday nights. This time around, yeah, I think there's uh, certainly more of a calmness around these postponements. Yeah, there, there does feel like that, doesn't there? And uh, it will be interesting to see what uh, Steve Corrector has to say. But I think the um, the big question over this season is, is how does the A-Leagues or how do the A-Leagues manage to, to execute a season across men's and women's football as the first 
sport in this country at least, which has not gone into a hub, which has attempted to postpone games and continue to play home games with crowds around the country. That's the, the real talking point for me. So, so far they're attempting to do it and obviously they've got the, the under-23s Asian Championship as a, as a deadline at the end of the season that they've got to try and work towards that they want to uh, complete the season prior to that so that they don't have uh, uh, squads that are compromised in, in too dramatic a way. But there's obviously... Uh, some of the decisions that have compromised parts of the season to a certain extent, meaning that uh, with the postponement so far, they've already announced that they'll be playing through international breaks and so on. So uh, these are the consequences that we just all have to accept, aren't they? They certainly are. This time last week, we had Marco Montverde on the show and we were predicting that the top headline on this week's program might be that Carl Robinson's been sacked. Uh, He had the Boxing Day fixture against Newcastle postponed and now another one on the 1st of Jan against Western United. So he'll be uh, wiping a bit of sweat from his brow. Yeah, I think so. But the fact that Gary Van Egmond has joined the Wanderers staff in this past mm. week, I think, uh, uh, suggests that, um, that there are not only uh, uh, voices within the club that are, uh, are not necessarily satisfied with Carl's ability to handle it, but, uh, you know, he uh, he was uh, working with one assistant coach, uh, Labanot Halidi, since Kennedy Miller left to take up a head coach's position in Scotland on the eve of the season. So that probably wasn't a good outcome from the get-go, but, you know, Gary Ed Van Egmont, he's, he's won a championship back in 2007-08 with uh, the Jets. So, uh, you know, if, if Robinson doesn't get the Wanderers firing sooner than, you know, there's a bloke and it has happened, as we know before, at many clubs, including the Wanderers recently, where the assistant, uh, uh, you know, takes the top job. Oztam ratings reflected poorly on the A-League's new broadcast era, with Saturday night matches failing to draw 100,000 viewers across the five major capitals for a month straight. The Christmas derby drew just 63,000 viewers on Channel 10, a fall from the 89,000 who'd watched Victories Clash the week before with Adelaide United. Prior to that, Sydney FC and Newcastle drew 85,000 viewers, including just 600 in Perth. Derek, you work in television, and of course, we know you can wrap up statistics uh, however you like. On this occasion, it probably doesn't tell the full picture because those who are invested and uh, entrenched in the Australian game aren't watching on Channel 10, of course. They're paid up and uh, have invested in Paramount+. Plus. Would you say that Channel 10 would be worried, given the idea probably is just to give people a sample on Channel 10 and then move them to the uh, subscription platform? Yeah, it's a good question, Willem. I don't know what the benchmark uh, Channel 10 would have given these. I mean, these these games are uh, are often in 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 sort of premium slots for them if they if they're played in the evening, and they could easily show a rerun of a of a popular reality show and and draw draw more of an audience. So yeah, as soon as things start dipping below the the hundred thousand in the the uh, five capital city area, I mean that that is extremely problematic. I don't know whether it's a it's a huge surprise as you said. I mean this is you know still a still a game which is uh, emerging in terms of the domestic um support uh for, for a league uh, you know and um and and as you said the ability to to watch it on the premium on on Paramount Plus but yeah I'd, I would say if I was uh the person that signed off that deal at Channel 10 I'd probably be a little worried about that because the other thing to say is that um you know, you quite often get a bit of a bang at the start with anything new on television, and then potentially your ratings may well fall back as as a kind of platform or, or a program matures. But in this case, it it starts off poorly, and you know, what else can you do uh, to to raise those ratings, Rob? Yeah, well, there's not a lot you can do in the short term other than spend a lot of money outside of your own environment promoting the game 
whether it be uh, you know billboards or, or, or digital advertising, uh, uh, they would have uh, obviously targeted a certain audience uh, across uh, digital social platforms and so on. Uh, so what they do need to be conscious of as well when you talk about dipping below that threshold of, uh, of 100,000 in the five capital cities in the metro markets in particular is, is it has a commercial uh, flow on that uh, that the sponsors who have signed up to support the game through uh, their commitment to the broadcast uh, would then be required to to have made good commercial content to fulfil the commitments that have already been made. So, you know, these are all standard practice elements in the world of advertising, but they're not ideal. And uh, and, and I guess the, the question really is, how long does the executive at the 10 Network uh, hold its nerve before it's prepared to, uh, before it actually makes a move and puts the uh, the matches on a secondary channel? We've already seen one of the Socceroos matches on Bold uh, on a night where I can't quite recall what the the, the the programming was on the main channel, but that, that was a surprise. So I, I think uh, uh, it wouldn't take too long for the executive level within the, the 10 network to to, uh, to to start to make you know hard commercial decisions um, if, if uh, it comes to that. And just another thing I wanted to ask you about, Derek, given your television background, and this is separate to uh, Channel 10, but it is in regards to Paramount Plus and just sport in general and streaming services. Uh, previously, we've had just about every sport on Foxtel, and that would mean that whether people were watching them or not, uh, pubs, restaurants, venues would have them on. Uh, what sort of impact, what sort of numbers would that add uh, to television ratings? Yeah, it's an interesting point, Willem. Obviously, as you said, the fragmentation of the sporting landscape uh, is is having an impact not just on the punter. You know, anyone who's listening to this show is a, is a hardcore uh, football fan, and as you know, you've got to spend quite a bit of money just hoovering up all the various uh, different platforms and trying to keep a track of it. And of course, Paramount Plus is a brand new channel. Uh, it does have some. Uh, you know, some good programming on there, some good drama, etc. I've got Paramount Plus at the moment uh, for that reason. But yeah, as you said, with that baked in Foxtel audience, you are missing out on the casual fan, the the the, the channel flicker, uh, someone that's not necessarily made the decision turning on the TV to watch uh, the A League, but you know, in lieu of anything else to watch, might might give it a look. So I think yeah, that is, that is a problem for sure. Heading abroad, Miguel Arteta has tested positive for COVID nineteen for a second time and will miss Arsenal's New Year's Day clash with Manchester City. The Premier League have reintroduced daily testing and recorded one hundred and three positive cases in the week leading up to and including Boxing Day from over fifteen thousand tests. Sixteen Premier League matches were postponed across December and like the A League men's for now, Derek, they are going to plough on. We had James McNicholas on when Arsenal played Manchester City last time I think it was late August and uh, it was very uh, pessimistic heading into that it was really a case of how many Uh, after that big win against Norwich though and improved form over the past couple of months you must be uh, looking towards this clash with a good degree of optimism even if it's not to win or to draw but just to uh, get a a yardstick of how far you've come since uh, what was a very doom and gloom start to the season yes I think the phrase a yardstick's a really good one Willem I don't think any Arsenal fan will will believe that we're capable of beating Manchester City even at, even at um at home even though we've we've had good form there in in recent games and yes the start to the season was atrocious Arsenal are turning into a team that seems comfortable playing any anyone below us but then as soon as it comes to Chelsea Liverpool and Manchester City uh, we really just melt away because our 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 um players are just not at the same level and the tactics are just not at the same level. So probably not going into it the last time 
uh, like the last time Willem like expecting an absolute mauling. A city will talk about it in stoppage time. Only only one one nil overnight, so uh, there is hope there. But they're they're a fabulous team, and I just think if Arsenal can come out of it with a degree of respectability, that would be great. Barcelona have bought Ferran Torres from Manchester City for forty six point three million euros, with the Spaniard to sign a contract until twenty twenty seven. Just like the recent re-signings of Ansu Fati and Pedri, twenty one year old Torres' deal include a one billion euro buyout clause. Although Barca must now sell a few players to comply with La Liga regulations. City bought Torres from Valencia for 20.8 million just 18 months ago. So that's a fair uh, on-sale price. And Pep Guardiola has said he's happy for him. Rob, this certainly seems at odds with the Barcelona we've come to know over the past 18 months or so, financial crisis. Uh, But what they have done, whether they are dealing with the issues that they have currently uh, well or not, they have set up three Spanish youngsters across the front line with exorbitant buyout clauses. Uh, So you would think they'll be all right going forward in that regard. Well, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's the the, the big challenge that that the club has. Uh, They're on their knees financially, but they're only going to get worse if they're not competitive on the pitch. So so, uh, it's hard to... question them too harshly on some of these signings if they're meeting some of the obligations that La Liga have put in place around uh, their financial uh, fair play requirements and uh, and and the uh, sound business practice that uh, we all know has to uh, to exist with a club that uh, that is so uh, parlous in its financial state so so I'm in a sort of a watching brief scenario for Barcelona and uh, and for La Liga's sake for the mega club that it is and its presence in world football hope that uh, that they uh, they can actually pull the fat out of the fire on this one and finally Hugo Maradona the brother of the late Diego has sadly passed in Naples following a heart attack aged 52 Hugo was an Argentine youth international and in 87 joined Diego at Napoli before being loaned out to Ascoli he embarked on a career from there that took him through Austria Spain back home to Argentina and to Japan before he settled in Naples. In a statement, Napoli president Aurelio De Laurentiis said the club will once again gather around the Maradona family. Yeah, look, sad news for the Maradona family. Uh, you know, we look at these uh, names and think of them as larger than life. Uh, but ultimately, it, you know, it's a family who's, who's lost another uh, member at, uh, at a relatively young age. And uh, I guess it, uh, it also asks the question that, you know, for all of the controversy around Diego Maradona's passing through, uh, you know, cardiac related issues uh, that he's own brother had similar uh, issues that brought about his demise. So, so that's a, a, a question we will all sort of watch uh, play out in the fullness of time as to whether there was some kind of family uh, genetic issue at play here. So, uh, yeah, so Vale to, to Hugo Maradona and uh, perhaps him and his brother will be having a kick about uh, at the uh, the great football pitch in the sky. All right, well, well done. Uh, now, you're going to stick around. Eric's going to take a little back seat for a moment here because we're going to talk to Steve Corica. A month into the A-League, the Sky Blues were looking pretty ordinary at the bottom end of the ladder where they're not used to being, but a couple of wins and they're in sixth position and convincingly knocking off MacArthur with the youngsters on the weekend as they did suggest that they will be a player for the rest of the season. So stick around. Steve Corica next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal Yes, this is box to box. Now, Sydney FC, they had a sluggish start to the season. They were near the bottom of the ladder for the first four rounds. But Boxing Day, the win over MacArthur, who were top at the time, 
has given their season the real spark it needed after winning in Campbelltown. And given the fact that the result was driven by the youngsters, it was even more notable. Steve Corica joins us on the line to discuss it. How are you, Steve? Very well, thank you. Yeah, going great. Yeah, so we'll get to the weekend's result in a moment. But uh, but I guess the question before two weeks ago, when you when you you know you started the back to back wins against uh, um, Wellington, what do you put the slow start to the season down to? I put it down to injury. Um, obviously, we've had quite a few injuries at the start of the, start of the season, and and to me, that's just the way it has been. I don't think the performances have been bad at all, except for maybe the Central Coast game, the first fifteen, well, maybe even the first half of that. But you know, we we should have beat Newcastle. We were two 0 up, and we let that slip um, two goals towards the end of the game. So um, you know, there's. We've been playing well. Um, obviously, we've had key players out at times. And, um, you know, obviously on the weekend we had more players out, but the, the young boys stood up and, and did, a, did a fantastic job, probably the best performance of, of the season so far. Yeah, well, you mentioned the, the young players uh, standing up, and uh, they certainly had to with uh, Adam LaFondra, Costa Barbarousas, Bobo, Elvis Cam Sober, but it was Wood Burgess and Trent Pahaja was uh, was just amazing. Uh, really took the leadership role on his own shoulders and uh, and uh, pretty much owned that game, scoring one. Could have had uh, uh, two assists, but uh, the, uh, the fact that it was MacArthur, again, who've been a consistent side from the get-go on their own turf must have been even more satisfying, mate. It was really good performance from them, them young boys up top, but, uh, you know, it was the general play of the players, you know, we still had experienced players behind them and, and they really stood up, though. But uh, it was nice to see because MacArthur were on a good roll. And they were top of the table. They hadn't conceded many goals. So, you know, it was nice for us to, to put on a very good performance and, and score three goals as well. So, um, you know, we've had two wins in a row now. And um, yeah, obviously we've, we're we're involved in the cup as well. We've got a cup game coming up soon to the quarter quarterfinals, and if we win that, we go in the semis. So there's there's a lot of things to look forward to in the next couple of weeks. Steve, the primary injury you would have been referring to at the start of the season was Luke Bratton. That, of course, wasn't in anyone's plans, but it's pretty handy to be able to go out and bring in an eight-time soccerer in Mustafa Amini. Uh, he's obviously been floating around without a club in, or without uh, the ability to bed down at a club for a, a couple of years now. So could you please talk us through the recruitment process, uh, how Mustafa's been in his first little while at the club and what condition he's in? Yeah, obviously with Bratty... Um Picking up that injury in the in the cup game, obviously he's out for the whole season, so it wasn't it wasn't good. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a big player for us. He's he's been there a couple of years, and, and he starts a lot of our plays. And he's such a good guy and and a great player. So obviously we we, we had to try and find someone that we we've brought Musti in. He can't play until the middle of of January. So, but obviously to bring someone in with that experience, Socceroos experience. Uh, he's played overseas for 10 years as well now at, at, some, at some big clubs as well in Borussia Dortmund and in, in Denmark as well. Um, obviously, that helps. He's, he's obviously had his problems with injury. So, you know, um, he hasn't played a lot of games. But what I've seen so far in training, he's, he's ready to go. He looks, uh, looks good. He's training well. And, you know, he's still got a couple of weeks before he will have his first kid out. So hopefully he'll be up to up to speed with the, with, the, with the rest of the boys. Obviously, not a lot of game time in that time that we can get him at the moment. You know, it's difficult uh, for anyone coming in at this stage to get game time, you know, and um, we'll just see how he goes once we do get him fit. 
In the meantime, Patrick Yazbek's been filling the breach beautifully. Uh, obviously, an academy product who's graduated over the past couple of years from the academy to being around the squad on the match day to a few minutes off the bench and now starting. So could you please talk us through what you've seen of him behind the scenes that you see as uh, what will take him a long way in his sort of nascent professional career? He's come up from the academy. He's, you know, he's, he's on a scholarship contract at the moment, but I really like what I see at the moment. He's doing a fantastic job for the last two games. He's been one of our standout players. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing if he can be consistent. That's the main thing for me, whether, you know, sometimes the younger boys are, you know, some couple of the games and then uh, off game. So I'm, I'm looking to see him being consistent and keep doing what he's doing. I think he can even bring more to the table. I think he's got a, a few goals in him as well. He's got a good shot and um, he likes to get forward. So from midfield there, that, that would be nice if we can get him uh, scoring a few goals as well. But at the moment, he's doing a great job and I'm really happy with the, the progress he's, he's shown in the last couple of games. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Sydney FC manager Steve Corriker. And Steve, uh, we talk academy, we talk of the young players and uh, go back to some of those names I mentioned off the top, Max Burgess, Patrick Wood in particular. Uh, those are guys that got their opportunity and uh, and and really stood up and uh, and, and had significant impacts on, on the game. It just what kind of... Uh, problem does that pose for you in terms of the setup of the side with a lot of experienced team players to come back into the squad you've got Musti Amini um, scheduled to to play his first minutes as well how, how do you manage the uh, the the performance of young guys like that doing what they did who would be just champing at the bit to just play back to back to back we've probably got three games this week and the next week um, so you know there's plenty of plenty of minutes there for them to play but uh, we might get a couple of boys back uh, you know, but at this time of year, you got COVID, you got you know injuries. Um, you know, everyone will get minutes at this time of year. You know, it's difficult <laughs> at the moment with COVID. You know, you get a couple of players picking it up. Uh, you get a couple of injuries, and you got four, five, six players out. So, um, you know, this is the strength on our squad now. I think it's showing uh, with these younger boys stepping in and and doing a great job. And you know, they're looking forward to obviously the next game because they they believe they did a great job which which they did scored a goal uh they all set up a goal as well which is great and you know i want to see more of that and and i think um they'll grow in confidence and and produce produce for the what about max burgess as well steve he's had a little bit of a slow start but that's understandable given he's really had 12 to 18 months uh out of the game and it was a little bit of a curious situation there it looked like he wanted to go to the wanderers he he definitely didn't want to be at western united uh which was a bit odd considering he looked on the frame of possible Socceroos selection at his very best uh i think the Mm -hmm. touch he showed though in the macarthur game particularly for the uh the cross for the first goal showed that he's nearing uh his best so uh how's he been faring behind the scenes given how he was when he arrived to you guys to this point now you know, we, we, I've had Maxi since I was in the youth team. So uh, he's been at the club for a long time uh, playing in the youth team. He obviously went to Western, uh, to Wellington and Western before before he come back to us. Um, and, and he did play, obviously, a lot that last season. Um, you know, obviously had a few problems down there and didn't want to go back. And, um, yeah, so we obviously signed him. Um, and, you know, it's going to take him a little bit of time, really. He's, you know, he's, he missed the whole, most of the season, really. So it's getting him back. Uh, match fit and obviously getting his touch back. So, but I think you've seen it in the last couple of games. He's start, you know, he's playing a lot of a lot of minutes at the moment, and he's improving all the time. And obviously, that goal will help him and the assist as well. So, um, you know, we expect big things from him uh, coming up in the next few games as well. 
From a more uh, broader perspective, Steve, what about the COVID situation? We're now at a point where we've had uh, 10 games postponed across December and into January. Obviously, very frustrating, but it seems that there's a, a collective calmness across the league, certainly uh, now that this is the third season in a row that we've been through this. So what's the communication been like with the APL? Is it is it daily? Is it weekly? And, and do you feel like things are sort of more con- in control despite the fact that we are seeing a rise in cases and postponed games? I think they obviously got the rules in, in place. Um, if you have a certain amount of players out, you can, you can obviously cancel a game. Um, but yeah, you know, I think uh, we're, we're pretty much used to it now. It's, it's three years in, uh, this COVID, and um, you know, obviously we just go with the flow. You, know, you can have a game called off uh, just like that, and um, you just have to get on with it. You can't control that fact that the game's called off, and we just have to prepare and get the players who are fit and ready to go uh, in the best shape we can. And, um, you know, there's, there's always going to be players coming in and going, I think, this season with, with COVID around. And we just have to try and prepare the best we can with, with, with the situation we're, we're coming up against. And finally, uh, Steve, the, uh, the competition, from what we've seen so far, looks as competitive a competition as we've seen in recent years. Uh, you know, it's no surprise to see under Tony Popovich, Melbourne victory have bounced back pretty quickly. But uh, MacArthur doing well, Western United, Central Coast backing up a good season last season. But even teams that are that are not in the, the top half of the ladder uh, have been putting out good, strong performances. Uh, are there any uh, surprises to you in the makeup of the, of the structure of the competition? Or is this uh, one of the most competitive competitions that you've seen in uh, in recent seasons? I think it will be uh, one of the closest uh, seasons, I think. Uh, there's a lot of teams obviously got out to a good start, but, um, you know, it is only early still. We're only six games in. Some uh, some teams only play four games, uh, four or five games. So, you know, there's a lot of lot of football to go and a lot of uh, games to go. So, But I think it will be pretty tight. I think, like you touched on, Stanley Popovich at Melbourne Victory, uh, you know, we expected that. We, we saw the players that he brought in and we thought they were going to be a good side. Western as well are up there at the moment, MacArthur. Um, you know, Newcastle are playing some good football at the moment as well, Central Coast, you name. So I think it will be a, a very, very tight season this year. So looking forward to the challenge, obviously. It's, um, you know, it's always good when um, you know, players, teams bring in new players and foreigners to get used to them and to know what they're about. So we're, we're looking forward to playing everyone else very soon. Yeah, likewise, uh, we're uh, enjoying this season so far and hopefully, uh, as Willem mentioned earlier with COVID uh, uh, ever-present, we hope that uh, the the crowds can continue to come in the numbers that uh, they're gradually coming. We're seeing uh, a slow build, but uh, the uh, the crowds are, uh, are coming back uh, to the stadiums and uh, and we're seeing, uh, you know, a, a great atmosphere at the, at the games um, that uh, that uh, we're, uh, we're watching uh, so far so steve thanks for joining us mate uh, really appreciate it good luck for the rest of the season and we'll talk to you again real soon fantastic thanks very much guys stick around after the break socceroos and matildas on box to box box to box for chemist warehouse home of real brands and real savings and storage king the kings of storage moving and more and this could be the most crucial goal of all yes this is box to box and it's time in a moment to talk Socceroos and Matildas. But before we do, it's Game Set Save at Chemist Warehouse with half price off the recommended retail price on the Nature's Own Range. The Australian Open's not too far away, only two weeks. So you can get huge savings on Nature's Own Super B Complex 75 tablets. Now just $13.99. 
and nature's own glucosamine sulfate with chondroitin 320 tablets for just $29.49 it excludes exclusive bulk sizes also save on sun care it's getting warmer so with 40% off the recommended retail on Cancer Council and Dermavine range, that is the best time to get in and stock up on sunscreen. 30% off the recommended retail price on the Ego Sunsense Banana Boat and Aven range, and half price off the Reef and Invisible Zinc range. Chemist Warehouse, you can always rely on them to give you the greatest savings every single day. Now, Willem, Edge is not here now, so uh, you know he'll be listening and expecting us to be uh, uh, very detailed in our analysis of the Socceroos and Matildas, and uh, obviously. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But before we do, um, Qatar, in a few days' time, we won't be saying the World Cup's next year. We'll be saying it's this year. So it's pretty much time to get your skates on if you haven't done anything about it. Uh, most certainly is, Rob. The uh, Green and Gold Army mailing list awaits you, and you know where it is by now, ggatravel.com.au. Uh, Edge has been over there for a while now. He's put those finishing touches on, and he's very excited uh, to say that there is the uh, the dual packages available, the best of the Middle East through uh, not just Doha, but uh, Muscat in Oman and surrounding areas as well through the UAE, uh, or for the, uh, the football feast where you'll be based in Doha and you'll take in uh, that many matches. It won't be funny, especially given that transport network and the proximity of matches uh, close to the city so ggatravel.com.au and sign up to that mailing list let's have a look at the Socceroos the centre of Australian football abroad it really does continue to be Scotland and Tom Rogic set up two goals in Celtic's 3-1 win over St Johnston Martin Boyle also put the disappointment of the Scottish League Cup final behind him with two assists as Hibernian won away to Dundee Hibs have slipped to fifth and they'll be disappointed to have ended the year so low but Martin has been in brilliant form from pretty much go to woe down in the championship a spate of postponements have seen Kenny Dougal as really the only Aussie to play frequently of late. They've also slipped down to 13th uh, and have played more games in hand. But Kenny's graduation from a League One footballer to a consistent league uh, championship footballer, rather, has been one of the stories of 2021. And Riley McGree's loan deal at Birmingham is also into its final day unless he can get it extended further. And Rob, we all know uh, that he'll be headed back to Charlotte. And that good work that he's done at Birmingham uh, in English football might be undone. So let's hope that there is some form of extension. Yeah, we do hope that because Riley McGree is, is is key to the the overall Australian setup uh, as a as a young player who's shown he's got elite talent that uh, that is just so hard to come by. So, yeah, that extension is one thing that uh, that all Australian football watchers will be watching closely. And to Asia to finish, as we often do, Aaron Moyes played a big hand in keeping Shanghai Port in contention for automatic qualification to the Asian Champions League. Moyes scored twice in the third last match of the championship phase, so they now trail Guangzhou Evergrande on just goal difference for second place. With two matches to play, they could well reel them in. And it's always awesome to see a big smile on Aaron's face. Uh, he spent so long, not only off the pitch with uh, the Chinese Super League in a long recess, but he was back in Scotland with his family trying to stay fit. He's gone back to China uh, and proven that he is, once again, a very, very good player indeed. Uh, And awesome news, Rob. The Socceroos clash against Vietnam on January 27. Uh, is all but sold out. Yeah, amazing uh, that it, it happened so quickly, but uh, not surprising given the, uh, the the long wait that we've had for a, a match to be played in Melbourne. And, you know, this is obviously a national broadcast. We have many international listeners as well. And uh, anyone who follows Australian international football closely enough would know that uh, that most recently, for various reasons, including, you know, the appetite of the, the New South Wales state government, they've won a, a lot more of the big matches uh, that the Socceroos 
than Matildas have played uh, in recent times. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm very concerned, as we've discussed on this show before, that uh, the last time there was a big match played at Amy Park where the uh, the diaspora of Thai nationals came out and really had a big impact on that game. I bet you that we're going to hear a lot of local Vietnamese support for uh, for their side, and uh, and they've been competitive in the Suzuki Cup as we've seen in in recent times against some of the other uh, Asian powerhouses. So, you know, you won't be able to get yourself a ticket uh, if you live in Melbourne, but uh, if you're going, I reckon that atmosphere is going to be first class and we urge every single green and gold supporter to be at full voice and to counter whatever is going to be expected in a couple of times a couple of weeks time willem do, do you subscribe to that theory that uh, i mean there are there are a lot of vietnamese in melbourne that uh, i reckon would have bought up a lot of those tickets oh of course victoria street just up the road from abbey park uh yeah i was there that night against thailand in i think it was september 2017 and uh, it was a pretty yeah, it was just uh, the energy uh, in the stadium that night. It was just it was sapping, and it was just sort of yeah, the Socceroos just couldn't get it together. And I mean, to an extent, you want there to be a lot of uh, Vietnamese supporters there because we all know good football has uh, has both flavors in the stands. But yeah, this is do or die for the Socceroos. So uh, get down there uh, as people will. Although let's hope that can be the case because we don't know what the COVID situation will be like in a month. So that match will be at Amy Park. There was a remarkable occurrence that also took place on Boxing Day at Amy Park, and we all know that's the time for. Uh, gifts Rob and uh, Melbourne City's Hannah Wilkinson not to take anything away from her she's become just the second uh, player to score five goals in a W League slash A League women's match joining Kate Gill uh, when she was at the Perth Glory but she scored five for City past victory uh, we know that City struggled last season under Rado Vidicic which certainly wasn't uh, how previous seasons have gone but the, he's really revitalized the squad with both Wilkinson who's now scored seven in two and Holly McNamara up the front as well but there were some serious questions to be asked of Jeff Hopkins's defence. Yeah, well, Jeff Hopkins, Hopkins is a friend of this show. He's been on many times before and uh, he's uh, led Melbourne Victory to some incredible results over the journey. But the, the defensive performance of the victory in that game was embarrassing. There, there's no other way to describe it. Uh, uh, we don't like to just have a crack at, uh, at players for uh, for no good reason. And, and the, the players that allowed Hannah Wilkinson to just have her own way uh, would be... Uh, Embarrassed themselves, but um, the uh, you know the goalkeeping performance of Casey Dumont is is one that uh, that really was uh, not going to be uh, played on her highlights reel, uh, allowing that uh, that first goal. Uh, then thirteen minutes afterwards, her and Tiffany Eliadis just bumped into each other. I mean, it was comic capers to, to be honest, and and then uh, Casey got chipped for the fourth at 56 minutes in. So, look, it, it was one of those scenarios where, like Jeff said after the game, he said that, that the performance took him by surprise um, and that, to be fair, the game was – the scoreline was a real true reflection of the game. Uh, to be honest, I thought that uh, that City could easily have scored two or three more and it would have been an absolute wipeout. But, uh, you know, that's not a good look for the uh, the A-League women's competition, particularly when you go higher up the ladder uh, of, uh, of to the international um, defensive woes of the Matildas in recent times. So, you know, there's there's got to be a lot of questions asked right now about uh, just how, how uh, our tactical fitness um, planning is uh, at, the, at the club level and because it's, uh, you know, that sort of thing is, is just not acceptable in a, in a top-class competition. Would you agree, Willem? 
No, I would agree. And they've had a funny old start to the season, the victory, because they won 5-1 themselves against Adelaide in round one. They then beat Melbourne City, beat Brisbane Raw, and then lost to Melbourne City uh, in a serious reversal of fortunes. And now they'll play Brisbane again. So, uh, no, it's certainly been up and down. Let's round back to the Suzuki Cup. Thailand are all but certain to lift it for the sixth time after defeating Indonesia 4-0 in the first of the finals. Two legs. The second leg is going to be played on New Year's Day. Thai captain Chanatip Songkras and netted inside two minutes before adding another just after halftime. Superchok, Sarah Chatton, Bordin Pala added another two goals to compound the misery on Indonesia. And Derek, you've got to spare a thought for them. They've never won the Suzuki Cup and they've lost. This will be their sixth final. Uh, so they've lost in five previous attempts, including to Thailand in 2000, 2002 and 2016. Uh, but uh, you've got to love the attitude of Thailand's Brazilian German coach, Mano Polking. He says, I don't think this is done. We've seen the best teams in the world in the Champions League losing a game after a 4-0 lead. We will give our full concentration and focus, and we cannot give Indonesia any chance to come back in the second leg. I'd probably turn it the other way, those stats, and say look, they obviously uh, do pretty well in this tournament, and if they keep reaching finals, there's you know, got to be a got to be a time where they've got they've got to got to win one eventually. So if it's not going to work out for Thailand this year, then why not? Why not next time? I think I think uh, let's be optimistic for Thailand. And Rob, Michael Edgley is not on the program this week, but his influence is never far away. And he was desperate to put this story in the program. And it'll, it goes a little bit like this. A California judge has ordered Daniel Sturridge to pay $41,576 to a rapper named Killer Fame over the 2019 return of his stolen Pomeranian Lucci. Lucci was missing in 2019 when Sturridge offered up 20 to 30 grand reward online before he was returned by Foster Washington. Sturridge and Washington were at odds over whether the reward was actually handed over. Washington stated he was disappointed not to receive the life-changing money. Sturridge has the right to appeal the judgment. Yes, you, you did say that uh, Edge is not far away and uh, and in his uh, inimitable style on our WhatsApp chat he said, this bloke is a goose. <laughs> no, no wonder he's ended up where he is. It uh, is quite uh, funny. If you didn't laugh, you'd uh, your jaw would be on the ground. But uh, yeah, that's that's a bizarre story. And while we're on the odds and sods court cases, Derek Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich has settled his libel case with publishing company HarperCollins over the release of the 2020 book Putin's People. Catherine Belton was the author. She claimed Abramovich bought Chelsea as a vehicle to corrupt the West, which his lawyers took to court as defamatory and. One, HarperCollins and Belton have agreed to amend the book and have apologised for certain passages that were not as clear as that have liked them to be. Uh, quite right too. Um, you know, you would you know, the Russians have never ever uh, employed soft power since the uh, the collapse of the USSR to uh, influence things on a global stage. So, you're too right. Well done, Roman. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. And what better way to finish the year than to talk to one of the great friends of our show? From the very early days, Rob Tanner was with the Leicester Mercury and now with The Athletic. He always joins us when there's big stories and just a general yarn about football. But right now, with uh, the havoc that's been caused in European football and the epicentre, of course, being the Premier League, fixture congestion and all of that, Rob joins us uh, to talk through what's happening over there and expectations for 2022. How are you, Rob? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Hope you had a nice Christmas with the family. Yeah, but it was busy as well because, uh, you know, the, the the Premier League never stops. It's relentless. And um, so it was a, a short break and then uh, straight back into it because the games have been coming thick and fast. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, that COVID disruption, as you mentioned, uh, the Premier League never stops, but it did stop for a little while. The Boxing Day uh, schedule was disrupted, even though there was plenty of football. There were games delayed. Uh, I mean, we're hearing now, uh, and this has happened for the past couple of seasons, but but matches delayed with uh, with two hours notice. Uh, uh, what's your sense of the, the level of disruption that's occurring, the capacity for the league to catch up with uh, revised fixturing? Uh, what's your, your take? on it all so far mate well it's it's caused a hell of a lot of problems and it's also threatened the integrity of the competition in my opinion uh, mm. i think when we started to see a number of games getting called off and, and especially at such late notice that perhaps the league should have made a, a decision then just to shut down for a week try and get the covid out of the training camps which um looks like it's it's managed to do naturally now a number of clubs, but the legacy of that is because you've had so many players out with COVID that um, usually at this time of year, managers are able to rotate their their starting 11s. Well, um, uh, in, in Leicester in particular, they haven't been able to do that. So as a result, you've got a number of injuries, soft tissue injuries as well. So, I mean, Leicester have been without nine players. Um, most of those are injuries. Many of those are hamstrings. And it's because they're having to go again and again and again. And I, I listen sometimes to the radio, a lot of old pros um, talking about, oh, what, you know, these modern players, blah, blah, blah. It was tougher in our day, blah, blah, blah. But the intensity of the football, it might be not as physical in terms of physical contact as it used to be, but the intensity in terms of the, the speed of the game, the pace, the twisting, the turning, it's going to take its toll. And it seems to have taken its toll on a on a number of uh, a number of teams. As I said, Leicester have got nine out. Um, most of those are injuries, not COVID. Or they've got a couple that um, will be coming back from that. I mean, Harvey Barnes is one that we're expecting back uh, soon after um, after a COVID uh, incident. So, but they're playing Norwich on New Year's Day, and uh, they've got ten players out. So you know, it's it's not just Leicester. It's a number of clubs that have been affected and. I just wonder whether the sensible thing would have been just to shut down. But then again, Amazon have had their TV rights. They've had all their games scheduled. So the pressure would have been on for them to carry on. And that's what they've done. Do you think that, you know, leaving aside COVID, that there is still this um, need to look at the, uh, the the fixture congestion over this period of time? Or is it what makes the Premier League so unique? This was a unique circumstance this year. Normally, there's not a, you know not a problem. As I said, managers can rotate. Yeah, you might have a few more players out, um, but this was different. COVID is is a game changer. It shouldn't be a long term game changer. I wouldn't um, completely throw out all the tradition of the Boxing Day game and and then playing again in midweek afterwards. I just think there was a bit of common sense this year might have been applied. Um, for example, Leicester played Man City on Boxing Day. And I think it was 51 hours later, they're taking on Liverpool. I mean, you know, you couldn't get two bigger challenges uh, in, in a season than those two. But then to, to have that thrown at you within, with you know, two days rest uh, and with a num- the number of injuries you've got, I mean, that was an incredible challenge that they faced. And they didn't half face it, though. I mean, they, they really rose to the occasion on Tuesday night. Um, but I think long term, no, I'm, I've got no problem with the traditions of of the Premier League, the Boxing Day game and all that. Um, I know Europe shuts down for the international break and there's been an argument for an international break for for quite a long time that um, has, has gathered a lot of pace, really. I think inevitably you might see one in the future, but I like the tradition of the English 
the, the English game. But I just think this year with COVID, um, they might have looked at that a little bit and, and said, well, hang on a second. The common sense would be you know, the, the amount of cases, COVID cases, record high cases in the uh, in the squads, we might shut down for just a week, 10 days, get it through the camps, get the, the camp, their training grounds cleaned up again, and let's go again. And that won't compromise the integrity of the competition because, uh, you know, I, I went to Man City and, and Leicester um, had to rest Vardy and they did because they both had injuries. They had so many players out. And you could look at the team and you thought, well, Brendan's thinking about Liverpool more than Man City here. He's sort of accepting that this is going to be a defeat. And um, your long term, you know, you went at the end, you get to the end of the season, you look back on those, you reflect on those games, and you say, well, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a level playing field for all the teams because Man City had a break up until that time, and Liverpool had their Boxing Day game postponed because of COVID. So they were fresh when they came to King Power Stadium, and I can I think you can look through all the fixtures and 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 see little injustices like that. But um, we've just got to battle through it now. Yeah, I'm not sure it's ever a level playing field when you're playing Manchester City. I mean, they can <laughs> virtually field two 11s full of international um, star talent. So probably no sympathy there. But let's talk about Leicester. You've, you've mentioned it a few times already. Um, we're about halfway through the season, Rob. Um wonder what your scorecard is for uh, for Leicester in terms of where they are, where, where the manager is. And do I detect... Do I detect a little bit of resurgence, not just the Liverpool game and the way that the youngsters acquitted themselves at City? Is there there's something kind of turning around there? Well, let's hope so. I mean, that 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 performance against Liverpool should be the blueprint for the rest of the season in terms of intensity and the work rate. Um, they were down to literally the bare bones of the squad. As I've mentioned, nine players out. Uh, Jamie Vardy's playing with strapping on his thigh, trying to get through. Um, they're going to lose four more players now because of the Africa Cup of Nations after this weekend's game. So that's really going to test the the, the depth of this squad. I mean, more kids are going to have to come in and play. Um, it's been a difficult campaign up to this point. And, and considering the problems they faced, um, I think where they are in the league is absolutely brilliant. Um, they, they've been up and down. We've Defensively, they've been shocking. But it looks like they might have turned a corner a little bit with that, um, especially on set pieces. I mean, they conceded nine goals from corners, uh, five penalties um, that have been put back past them. Casper's still managed to save a few as well, uh, three from free kicks. You know, set pieces has been a real, real problem for them. It's been an Achilles heel. We saw that at Man City. I mean, uh, the first penalty came from a corner. Uh, then they scored two. Just when Leicester looked like they could get back to 4-4, they, Man City scored two late on from corners. It's been a little bit schoolboyish in in that sense. I mean, the way they've defended. I mean, it's been a mix of zonal marking, man marking against Liverpool. They went back to sticking your biggest um, uh, biggest players on their biggest players, their biggest threats, uh, and trying to nullify that, putting people on the post just like we used to do, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and it worked. Um, so that perhaps they're going back to basics a little bit in in, in that sense and, and trying to eradicate that from their game. But it's been really up and down um, with some, some great performances, some great attacking performances, noticeably coming back um, to, to win in, in Moscow and uh, the defeat of Newcastle and Watford. And, you know, some, some decent performances, but also there's been some poor ones. And defensively, there's been it's been a challenge. So hopefully, but I think it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets any better because of the amount of players they're missing. But hopefully, second half of the season, they can find some consistency. Can Leicester get back up there into the European places? I mean, they're going to have to finish above the likes of 
Man United, Tottenham, West Ham there and fifth at the moment. Maybe that's the team that they might be looking at and going, we can get back into the top six or seven and get European football next year. Top six will be the target. That 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 is what they they'll be aiming for, and they obviously got the defence of the FA Cup coming up. That'll be starting soon um, against Watford. So um, you know those will be the targets. They just want a bit of consistency, really. They 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 want to get that feel good factor back. It felt like it at the King Power Stadium against Liverpool. The atmosphere was amazing inside the ground, and and there were just um, some seeds that were sown for the rest of the season. I think in terms of how they approach it now. Um, as I said, from set plays and and um, certainly the, the problems they've had with um, with players being out and bringing in the youngsters, and they might have to bring in some more. But yeah, that'll be the target. Top six. It'll be tough. It'll be really tough because, as I said, those those games that have been missed, and they haven't had many that have been missed, Leicester. That, that, but they'll have to um, have to pencil them in um, later into the schedule. And with the uh, them being in the Conference League, which Tottenham aren't. Um, They've got a trip to to Randers in Denmark as well in February, so there'll be more games, and um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be difficult. But um, never say never with this uh, Premier League because it's so topsy turvy. Excellent analysis from you as always, mate. Thanks uh, for joining us on the show again, mate. Uh, look, hopefully, uh, with uh, this uh, experience that the competitions uh, around the world have now had uh, with COVID and how to manage it and postpone and reschedule that we're going to get a competition and there'll still be crowds in the stadium, mate. So um, all the best for, for the new year, mate, and uh, and we'll talk to you again uh, soon and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about uh, about more football, but um, obviously there'll be a sort of a halo of uh, COVID uh, no matter what, uh, what it is we're talking about. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, fingers crossed um, in the new year we can have a, a COVID-free time. Yeah, exactly. Good on you, mate. Rob Tanner, our good friend from The Athletic. All right, stick around. We're going to wrap it up with stoppage time next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Been a good show. But uh, why don't we, Derek, take a look at uh, at the Premier League so far? I mean, it's regardless of the fact that we we try to cover as much international football, inevitably we do come back to the Premier League because it is the you know the number one sporting competition in the world. Um, there are pretenders to the throne, but this is the uh, the top of the the pile. So, so what's what's your assessment of the competition? I mean, are Manchester City going to just run away with it? Um, did Liverpool's stumble against Leicester uh, uh, cause uh, you know? a fatal um, uh, blow to their to their hopes uh, Chelsea is there a, you know a chance of them regrouping as you said Rob the uh, those of us that are looking for a tight and exciting uh, end to the Premier League season what won't be happy with what we've seen of the the few games that that have been played in the Premier League over the the Christmas period and semi decimated schedule. Um, as we've spoken about earlier in the program. But City, as you said, uh, uh, eight points clear after a 1-0 win over Brentford. And, uh, you know, I was saying that 1-0 actually, you know, compared to some of their other uh, results and performances that they've been dishing out to various oppositions, that's a pretty credible result for for Brentford to only get the... uh, the 1-0 defeat, you know, you only need to look at that 6-3 against Leicester, which was, was highly entertaining. And just for a moment there, you thought Leicester were coming back into it, but City just found fourth gear, fifth gear, sixth gear, and uh, cruised away from from the Foxes. And 
they are cruising away from the other two teams that we thought would be joining City in that title race. As you said, Liverpool, uh, the uh, draw with Leicester, yeah, pretty damaging, Rob. I mean, I think if you'd said at the start of the season, uh, would you take a, a point away uh, at the King Power? I think, I don't know, Rob, you probably would have done, uh, given given the way where Leicester finished last season. But of course, there was the penalty miss and the subsequent follow-up from um from from the uh, the rebound where Mo Salah hit the crossbar with a header and just a couple of inches lower they would have gone would have gone one nil up and and Liverpool played pretty well in that game I thought as well and, and potentially had other chances to to to, uh, to to get the win but Leicester's form has been recovering over the last couple of games you feel like that they're just starting to turn their form around at the the crucial time of the season and of course uh, Chelsea. That draw with Brighton, Chelsea draw a lot of games. If you look at the Premier League table, at Chelsea, have, they, they they seem to draw these games at home, and uh, you know it used to be a routine kind of game at home against uh, Brighton for them. But for some reason, even though this um, this team is clearly one of the elite teams in uh, in European football under Tuchel, they're maybe just not quite as ruthless as Manchester City and Liverpool. They don't quite rack up the same number of goals, and that means that you know if you have something like uh, what happened to Chelsea with Danny Welbeck, Welbeck coming back from the dead uh, to, to score a great header to cancel out uh, um, to, to cancel out Lukaku's uh, early header for for Chelsea. Um, yeah, eight points is it? Is that insurmountable? No, of course it isn't. But you know, City are normally used to just getting into their stride. They've got a very deep squad that will cope with this. Uh, very packed schedule that they've they've got to come over the uh, over the next few weeks. They don't have the league cup to worry about, so that's another three games in their schedule that they don't need to to think about. And yeah, look, uh, I tipped them at the start of the season, Rob, and I don't see any reason not to tip them now. It is a silly season, though, Derek. So, uh, which are a couple of the big transfers which you expect to go through over the next couple of days once it opens uh, in England on January one? I'd probably turn your question around a little bit and go, well, with Newcastle, they seem to be struggling. And, and who isn't coming to Newcastle? I've been reading the rags at the moment. Coutinho doesn't sound like he wants to come to Newcastle. A mooted transfer to uh, Arsenal reported in some press. I don't know why we would sign Coutinho given uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and and uh, Odegaard playing so well in the role that he so so uh, that he plays in, and Anthony Martial has turned his nose up at it as well. And I think they're, you know, it may, it may be um, uh, you know a path to riches for them, but they're also looking at a team that's nineteenth with eleven points. And and would you go and, and potentially then go and spend a a year or so in the in in the championship? And I'm not sure they would. Kieran Trippier looks like the most likely signing to. Uh, to uh, to uh, to come to to Newcastle at the moment, returning from uh, Atletico, but I'm not sure that's a done deal. Uh, Mbappe uh, is not leaving PSG this January, so I reckon he's going to go on a free. Uh, Definitely not the, to Tottenham, and certainly not to Tottenham. He's been very gracious about that, but people have been prodding him <laughs> left, right, and centre for a headline. No, he's not going to Spurs, old Mbappe. Oh well, um, <laughs> and, and was that a right little too. nod to edge there, uh, Mbappe? <laughs> there, uh, Willem. Uh, yes, I think I think I think it was, and uh, well played, well played, Willem. But I'd be surprised if he ended up at, at Spurs. One that I think Rob would potentially quite like, though, is uh, Bakayo Saka at Arsenal. He's near the top of the shopping list for uh, Jurgen Klopp, and uh, as an Arsenal fan, I'm pretty realistic about 
you know, Smith Rowe and Saka, you know, that if we can keep them at the club for a, a little part of their career before before they move on, you know, as much as I'd love to to, to hammer them into ten year contracts and take us back but, uh, to the top, but Rob uh, Saka could be an interesting one for Liverpool. I would love him, but is there room? I mean, he's a player that's getting proper minutes and game time at Arsenal. And I, I mean, as much as I love to rub salt into the exposed wounds of the Gunners, uh, I think they're far from a, a, a development uh, club right now. So surely they've got the firepower to, to keep him and uh, and at least, uh, you know, uh, attract him to to playing first-team football and, you know, you're still a legitimate chance of playing European football next year. So it would puzzle me to see a guy like him leave to go to a club that has so much depth as Liverpool right now. Oh, look, I mean, it's tables have turned, obviously, since the days that we... we uh, offered forty million and one pound for Luis Suarez, and I was flexing our muscles, so to speak, as a, the preeminent club over over Liverpool. But I think that's the reality for Arsenal now. Yes, I think Arteta can galvanise the young players that are local boys that enjoy playing with each other. Uh, they're obviously enjoying playing the football now, but ultimately they go to England training camps. They'll talk to Foden and Grealish and everyone else, and. Uh, Henderson, whoever it might be. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, they've got a short career. They've got to win as many trophies and make as much money as they can. So, yes, I mm. hope so, Rob, but uh, you've got to be realistic. But I think just briefly talking about international football as we wrap this thing up, um, good job Age is not on the show because we know what he'd say about this, but Robin Lewandowski and uh, Kylian Mbappe uh, <laughs> have come out and, and uh, sort of doused a lot of cold water on the biannual um, FIFA World Cup plans. Um, uh, Killian himself said it wouldn't be special if the World Cup uh, uh, occurred every two years instead of every four years. And Lewandowski, who was recently voted the Guardian uh, Footballer uh, of the Year, top footballer of the year, and, and a, a bit of bit of comfort for him there after missing out on the big gong. But uh, yeah, I'm sure Edge would disagree. But it was interesting with uh, UEFA inviting the. Uh, the uh, South American teams to come and play in the Nations League felt like a bit of a bit of real politic there and a bit of a gambit. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that, um, that the top teams and the top players and the top confederations don't want this. Um, mm. So it'll be interesting to see whether it uh, will actually take place. Before we go, though, a couple of predictions, boys. Um, what's your predictions, your hopes for, uh, for 2022? I just hope that... The league season kind of continues where, wherever it is around the world, but that, but ultimately that players and fans remain safe. I, I, I think that you know there is a point to say that football is uh, important in people's lives, and that we do need to be playing playing sport and giving people something to to watch and look forward to. But I just hope everyone just remains safe. To be honest with you, and we, we get to that that World Cup in in better shape um, than, than than say at the start of this season. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, mate. It's a bit hard to, to go past that um, hope, and um, and hopefully it's a prediction as well that it actually does happen. Um, I'll, I'll just sort of pivot a little to to the World Cup and say that uh, whilst I 100% agree with what you've said, um, I'm going to couple my prediction with my hope that both uh, Australia and the Itzuri both get through the final stages of qualification and we do see them in Qatar. Uh, Willem, you? 
Oh, you've uh, you've pinched my bacon, Rob, to jam a couple of sayings together. Um, <laughs> I hope to God that the Socceroos make the World Cup. The only person praying harder is Edge. Uh, <laughs> I predict Melbourne victory will finish top of the A-League and win the championship. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to seeing you guys and Damo and Edge and everyone in studio at some point in 2022 for uh, another brilliant year of Box to Box. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a nice little package of predictions there, mate. And I'm sure the Damo who is uh, producing our show and uh, putting the whole thing together would be saying uh, something quite similar to what I said, uh, but maybe uh, with more enthusiasm about the Azzurri, given that we know in his production suite at uh, the Casa del Tardio, it still has the, uh, the front page of the age with the 2006 Azzurri lifting the World Cup there. All right, boys. Well, uh, enjoy New Year's Eve uh, as we record leading into it. Uh, Listeners, uh, we hope you have a great New Year's Eve. And if you're listening afterwards, that the New Year started well for you. Um, We really are always uh, super supportive of of, uh, or grateful for your support. Um, Derek, um, you have a good New Year's Eve, mate, and rest up and get, uh, get well real soon, mate. Yeah, I don't think I'll be having too many frothies tomorrow night, gents. But, uh, yeah, just a bit of R&R for us in our household. Yeah, good on you, mate. And, uh, Willem, you too? Thank you, Rob. And to Derek, to your little one, happy second birthday, if memory serves correct. And Ed, you'll be listening over there in Bangkok. A happy new year to you too. Damo, thank you as well. A, a felice anno nuovo, if uh, my Italian is correct. And to everyone listening, uh, please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and join us next week in the new year when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.